The first reading is from Isaiah 49, verses 1 to 7, and it's on page 596 of your Bibles. Listen to me, you islands. Hear this, you distant nations. Before I was born, the Lord called me. From my mother's womb, he has spoken my name. He made my mouth like a sharpened sword. In the shadow of his hand, he hid me. He made me into a polished arrow and concealed me in his quiver. He said to me, you are my servant, Israel, in whom I will display my splendor. But I said, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing at all. Yet what is due me is in the Lord's hand, and my reward is with my God. And now the Lord says, He who formed me in the womb to be as his servant, to bring Jacob back to him and gather Israel to himself, for I am honoured in the eyes of the Lord, and my God has been my strength. He says, It is too small a thing for you to be my servant, to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I have kept. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles, that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. This is what the Lord says, the Redeemer and Holy One of Israel, to him who was despised and abhorred by the nation, to the servant of rulers. Kings will see you and stand up. Princes will see and bow down. Because of the Lord who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel who has chosen you. And the second reading is from Luke chapter 2, verses 22 to 40, on page 832 of your Bibles. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves and two, or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout, He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child, Jesus, to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, You may now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Peniel, of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage, and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple, but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying, Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God 
and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. When Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth, and the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was on him. Well, good afternoon. My name's Rob Forsyth, as you may know, and um, it's a great pleasure to be with you again here uh, at the combined four and six services here at the Holy Trinity, the Garrison Church. Let's pray. Lord, may your word live in us and bear much fruit to your glory. Amen. Often for us Protestants, the mother of Jesus is someone we quickly pack away after Christmas with all the other decorations. We have a limited attention span for Mary. It's a reaction, I think, uh, to the very prominent place Mary has in the devotion and doctrines of other churches, especially the Roman Catholic Church. And yet, uh, in the words of American biblical scholar A.T. Robertson, a hundred years ago he wrote this, but I think it's still true today, quote, I've felt for many years that Mary, the mother of Jesus, has not had fair treatment from either Protestant or Catholic. Not had fair treatment from either Protestant or Catholic. Well, here at Churchill Anglican, we're taking some steps to address this issue in our series, a present series called Studies in Mary, A Sword Shall Pierce Her Soul, which, which is running over all the Sundays here in January. Today, we're in Luke chapter 2, from verse 22 through chapter verse 40, from whence the title of the whole series comes, actually, the words of Simeon to Mary, A Sword Shall Pierce Your Soul Also. You'll find that our passage is one of sharp contrast. On one hand, the fulfillment of a long-awaited promise, something wonderful. On the other, the spectre, the hint, the promise of, of trouble, pain and loss, something strongly troubling. Well, let's begin. The first thing you'll notice when you heard that reading was how Mary, uh, Jesus rather, with Mary and Joseph, his parents, are enmeshed and located in a particular story of a particular people. It's the particular story of God's particular people, Israel. And so we meet Jesus and his parents in our text today as devout, Torah-observing Israelites, observing the customs of Israel's law, the law of Moses, or the law of the Lord, as Luke, Luke uses both terms for it. The baby may have been born in Bethlehem, but the action moves some eight kilometers north to Jerusalem, to the temple of the living God the house of the Lord, to that marvellous complex of colonnades and courtyards on a huge platform with a gold-covered holy of holies in the centre and various courtyards with large, tall pillars around them out going outward. It, it had been tarted up significantly from the days of Herod the Great and was now one of the great wonders of the ancient world. And it was no ordinary building. It was the symbolic heart of the relationship between God and his people. That's our focus today. Now, the law of Moses required that the mother of a newborn should go to the temple to undergo purification. Forty days after the birth if it was a boy and 80 days if it was a girl. Don't ask me, okay? That's Leviticus 12, 1 to, uh, 1 to 6. 
As well as that obligation, there's another obligation uh, to consecrate a firstborn church son to the Lord and then, as it were, to redeem him back by offering of a sacrifice. This custom arose because of the Lord had rescued Israel out of Egypt through the death of the firstborn of people and of animals. And Exodus 13, 15 describes this important custom. Now, that's what Jesus' observant parents went up to do, taking with them the, what, five-week-old five month, five Jesus. I'll read it. Let's listen to it. Luke 2, 22 again. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. It's easy to overlook this kind of stuff from our distance and our cultural perspective. And so ignore Jesus in his context, and so ignore the fact that he only makes sense, as not by himself, but as part of a longer story. It's not, nothing happened, Jesus turned up, but there's this long ongoing story of a people and God. And now we have, look, here's Jesus, the climax of that story. And we'll see this very much so in today's material. It's what goes on in that temple complex that concerns us this morning, this afternoon rather, and he meets two people who say things about him, about Jesus. Two significant people. One is in Luke chapter two, verse 25. I quote, there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was on him. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel. Simeon, by the way, was the most popular name at the time, so it's not, not an unusual name, but this is a particular Simeon, a righteous, devout man waiting the cons what is this consolation of Israel he's waiting for? Well, to understand that, let me give you the entire Old Testament in two or three sentences. <laughs> Though God made a good creation, blessed by him, sin, death, and human rebellion have entered in. So there was a loss of blessing and a coming of a curse. And yet God chose a man and promised him both that he would be blessed become the father of a great nation, and also that through him, blessing would come to the world. That man, Abraham, was the grandfather of Jacob, AKA Israel, and the patriarch of the nation. And as I mentioned later, God rescued that people out of slavery in Egypt and made a covenant or pact with them that he would be their God and they be his people. Of course, this wasn't just about them, but part of God's grander purpose to bless and redeem the world through them. Well, to cut a long story short, it turned out that Israel was much a part of the problem as they were the solution. They spent ages under the curse of God, living in exile under foreign powers, and even when returned their own land under the domination of pagans. And yet God, by his prophets had promised that he would remember his commitment to them and he would come 
and rescue and console his people, redeem them from the hands of their enemies and all who hated them. And that's what Simeon, a devout member of that people, was waiting for. He was waiting for the coming of God to console Israel. But that's not all. There's something else. Verse 26. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Now, it's one thing to wait and long for something. It's entirely another to be told that you will see it in your lifetime. And the Holy Spirit had told him that he would see the Lord's anointed one in Hebrew, Messiah, Messiah in Greek, Hokristos, or Christ, in his lifetime. And that kingly figure promised in, in the form of servant of David, son of David, would be central in the consolation of Israel. One particular day, that same Holy Spirit moved Simeon to go into the temple courts. When he was there, there were Jesus' parents who brought to him the young baby to do what they'd come to do according to the law of Moses. Well, they were not told this. I assumed that therefore Simeon must be a priest who can do this sort of stuff, not just anybody wandering around the temple. And you may wonder, therefore, how many times Simeon had done this kind of thing for parents and their firstborn. But this time, it was completely different. Looking at the child, he saw that this, this was it. He was it. Simeon was holding in his arms what he'd been looking for and longing for all his life. It was in his lifetime. Now, as it were, he could die happy. And so as we read, he blesses God. Sovereign Lord, as you promised, he said, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you've prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. Notice how he's describing the child he's holding two remarkable ways. First, Simon describes the baby as, quote, your salvation, which you prepared in the presence of all peoples. It's just an infant, a couple of a month, a bit old, nearly two months old. But to Simon, Simeon rather, it's God's whole salvation personified in that child. Seeing him, the old man has seen God's plan to bless the world through his people realized. And the second thing Simeon describes him is, as, quote, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and glory for your people Israel. Now, those arresting phrase comes from the, the words, echo the words of prophet Isaiah. You heard in your first reading. Speaking of what God will do through someone he calls his servant. Isaiah 49 Verse 6, God says, is it, too, it is too small a thing for you to be my servant to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I have kept. I'll also make you a light for the Gentiles that my salvation may reach the ends of the earth. This servant figure is to restore Israel, restore the tribes of Jacob, 
and bring back those of Israel, but also the whole world will be embraced by the Lord's salvation. I've made you a light for the nations that my salvation may reach the ends of the earth. In other words, the promise to Abraham and his great plan now realized. Now that's what Simeon is holding in his arms. That's what Simeon is holding in his arms. Something similar happens a moment later when uh, another woman, another person meets them. There's another woman of great significance for the story in the temple. She lives there, apparently. She's a woman in great age. Only early 80s, but anyway, Luke says it's a great age. She's a prophet. And apparently there are a number around here who are also looking to the climax of the story of Israel as well, because we read in verse 38, coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God. I guess she looked at the child, looked at Simeon and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. The redemption of Jerusalem is another way of saying the consolation of Israel. And she spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. Okay. Mary and Joseph take the nearly six-week-old Jesus to the temple to complete the appropriate ceremonies for a newborn according to the law of Moses. There they get much more than they bargain for. This child is not merely subject to the law, enmeshed and located in a particular story of a particular people. He is also the long-awaited fulfillment of that story of the, of the salvation of that particular people and the salvation of that people, and not only just of that people, but of all the nations. No wonder, as verse 33 says, the child's father and mother marveled what had been said about him. As we should too, marveled about what had been said about him. But you say, what about Mary? So far, Mary, his mother, has been present, but not the focus of the story. In fact, she has not even been named yet in this text we've been reading. Now, I know that in verse 22, the phrase Joseph and Mary in our NIV translations, when the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Mary and Joseph, or rather Joseph and Mary, it says, took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. But in Luke's Greek, which he wrote originally, it was just simply them, they rather. Literally, verse 22 is, when the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, they took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. In verse 27, it's simply the parents who bring the child into the temple. And finally, in verse 33, it's the child's father and mother who marvel at what is said. But now, in verse 34, all that changes. Verse 34, then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother. Now she is named Mariam, literally Mariam. There are many forms of the word Mary in the New Testament, Maria. Mariam and Miriam, all the same phrase, all the same person. His name, Mary. And he addresses her. What will he have to say to her? Now, you may remember at the beginning I said our passage brings out a sharp contrast. On one hand, the fulfillment of long-awaited promise. On the other, the spectre of trouble, pain and loss. And that's what Simeon's words to Mary, his mother, 
are all about. Let's listen to them. Verse 34. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined for the falling and rising of many in Israel, and will be a sign that will be spoken against, so that the thoughts and hearts of many, many thoughts and hearts of many will be revealed, rather, and a sword will pierce your own soul also. What's he saying? Well, the three things he's saying to Mary, which are all related. Firstly, by saying that, quote, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel, Simeon is saying that this child, God's salvation, which he prepared in the presence of all peoples, will have a completely different and opposite effect on many in Israel. His coming will cause some to fall and it will cause some to rise. The one who is a light for revelation to the Gentiles and glory of your people Israel will be a divisive coming. It will bring division and not peace, in fact. But why? The second thing Simeon says unpacks the reason. The child is destined to be, and I quote, a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. A sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. There will be opposition and rejection of the man this child will become. His coming may be the long-awaited consolation of Israel, but it will be resisted, actively resisted, by many in Israel. And the thoughts of their hearts will be revealed by their response to the man this child becomes. Their hearts will be revealed to have been hardened and resistant to God's graciousness, which leads to the third, more personal saying to Mary directly, quote, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. And a sword will pierce your own soul too. She will not be excluded from this that's going to go on. Now that's quite alarming, very serious. Simeon doesn't spell out what he means or what he's referring to. It may be as a, as a prophet, he doesn't know exactly what his words do speak to. That can be often true of prophets. They receive a revelation, insight to a destiny, but, but don't know exactly what shape it will happen, except this child is destined to divide Israel and so be opposed that Mary herself will suffer pain and grief. Things will get so bad that a sword will pierce your soul also. Now we're sometimes so familiar with the way the Gospels go, that we miss the shock of this. All four Gospels record in their own way the disbelief and shock at the idea that Jesus, the Son of God, the Lord's Messiah, should be opposed and so opposed by others that they eventually take his life. This comes in all three or four Gospels as an unexpected an alarming thing. And that ultimately is the sword that will pierce Mary's soul. Not that that is the defeat of the salvation which God has prepared in the sight of all peoples or of his light for revelation to the Gentiles and for the glorious people Israel. In fact, all four gospels will point to the resurrection from the dead which enthrones him. But the way of that salvation 
and of that light, which Simeon sees in the nearly six-week-old child, will be difficult and it will be divisive. There will be joy, but there'll also be pain. There will be life, but there'll also be death. Now, I don't know how Mary took this. I'm just thinking today, she's probably younger than almost anyone here who's had a child. She would be, we would probably in our language call a teenager. I don't know how she took this. Her story has a long way to go, as we'll find out in the coming weeks. All Luke tells us is, they finally went back home. Verse 39, when Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth. As Justin told us last Sunday, Nazareth was a village so obscure that this detail must be true. No one would ever make it up that he was Jesus from Nazareth. It's like saying he's from Zetland or, or um, Duneside. Respect, comfort if you've come from there, I apologise. And it's in that obscure village that we find that he who could be described as the Lord's salvation himself grows up among his family and neighbours. Just like any other ordinary boy, except he was outstanding. Quote, and the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom and the grace of God was on him. What can we say of what we've just heard? We can say that Simeon has seen a dark side to the glorious revelation of God's salvation, which he's prepared in the presence of all peoples. Which leaves us, or rather leaves me at least, wondering why it has to be so. Why couldn't he just stopped when he had the baby? Why is it have to be so difficult? Why can't the whole thing be easy and pain-free? For that's at least how I would like it to be. But Mary's place in this story tells us it is not like that. Not for her son, not for her, and not for us. Which is kind of in a strange way comforting, reassuring, when we find it isn't easy. When we find that Paul's words later on to the fledgling Christian communities in, in Lystra, Iconium, and Obsidian Antioch, Acts 14, are true. He said, we must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. That's true. So we must give Mary, the mother of Jesus, fair treatment. We must not pack her away quickly after Christmas. We must welcome her as our sister, perhaps even more than that, but our sister in joy and in sorrow.